Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nā mai harumai ki te au hurehanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko klakin kanan tēnei. Now, before we start, I want you to know that I've got some tissues here if you need them. Because if you think you've been sneezing more than usual this summer, you're probably not wrong. The El Nino climate pattern has meant lots of warm, windy days and lots of pollen out and about and getting right up your nose. Not a great time for hay fever or asthma sufferers. High pollen levels are a key trigger for symptoms and attacks. But for the first time in way too long, those levels are being tested. Researchers from three different universities have installed a pollen trap on the roof of one of Auckland's most beautiful buildings. Senior producer Justin Gregory went up with them to collect some samples, but got a bit distracted by the view. It's a palaver to get up onto the roof of the Auckland War Memorial Museum, but once you're up there, I tell you, it's worth it. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't know about the science up here, but I can tell you that the view from up on the roof of the Auckland War Memorial Museum is just astounding. We're heading around the edge of the glass roof and towards the testing station, which is sitting right on top of a concrete bunker, its tail flapping gently in the wind. The trap is a vented green metal bin, like an old-school metal camp cooker with a blade on top of it to catch the wind. You can see some photos of it on the Our Changing World website. Master student Natasha Inyadi is about to climb up to remove this week's sample. So first we need to stick in a lock to stop the blade from moving so it doesn't hit us as we're changing out the pollen sampler. Um, And then you open the top of it and then uh, this is where the um, tape is. The tape is wound inside a metal drum, it's like a small film canister. Pollen enters the drum through vents in the trap and collects on the tape. Natasha swaps the old drum for a new one. And then there is a key um, which we use and then we turn this until the drum gets quite tight and the key is to wind up the clock mechanism which takes for seven days. Yep, the pollen trap operates by clockwork, slowly unwinding over the course of a week and catching the pollen that drifts in. After winding it up, Natasha closes the lid and cleans the vents on the machine with a small dental brush. And it looks like we're done here. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Last step is just to unlock the um, blade again so that it can move around in the wind. Terrific. And it's moving in the wind again. Yeah. Ready for another week. <laughs> I'll get down before it hits me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
This pollen trap has been operating for around six months now. Have a guess how many traps were running before then? The answer? None. Not one. Not one single pollen trap in New Zealand. Not a single pollen trap, which was quite shocking. It is. This is Associate Professor Stuti Mizra, optometrist and scientist at Waipapa Daumataro, the University of Auckland. She co-leads the project with Associate Professor Amy Chan, a pharmacist and asthma researcher also at Auckland University. Amy too found our lack of traps surprising. I had a PhD student look at the effects of um, weather on asthma hospitalisation. She said, oh, Amy, I can't get, there's no pollen data. And I'm like, don't be silly, it's, it's right there. Just contact our med service and find out what's going on. You know, just get the, the data and the data source. But there wasn't a data source. Until now, we've relied on the expertise of just one man. She's like, no, no, um, I've contacted a med service and they said this data is provided by someone called David Fountain. Um, and he is an expert around pollen, and he's a lot of expertise around pollen, but it's all around um, based on historical trends. So from his knowledge, for example, it might be like July, usually in July, and based on his observations around him, I'm seeing these trees pop up, and I know in the past July, this is the type of pollen that's most commonly around, and so that's how he has um, sort of predicted that and provides that information to the Met Service. So he's generated a pollen calendar to say these are the types of pollen that are, have traditionally been around at this time of the year and that's what they draw on as well with a combination of considering things like weather and wind. It's been years since anyone captured and analysed pollen and spores in this country, 35 years in fact in 1988. More data and more up-to-date data was needed. Why? Well, in short, asthma and allergies. Pollen is a big trigger for allergic rhinitis, hay fever, and asthma. It's no secret that Aotearoa has high rates of asthma. About one in eight adults suffer from it, and about one in five children. We have much higher rates than Australia and the UK. And recently our data also shows our asthma attack rates are really, really high. Um, So when I looked at the number of asthma attacks um, in a year and divided by the number of people who have asthma, there is actually an asthma attack being experienced by a person with asthma every two and a half minutes. I was concerned because not only does New Zealand have very high rates of asthma, our asthma isn't controlled, and that's really the most important part, is that our asthma attack rates are really high. And those rates are not improving. It's quite the opposite. Asthma attacks have risen by a third over the last decade. So we know people's asthma are getting worse. And in terms of our pollen data, our very early pollen data from our count, what we're seeing that is that the number of days of high pollen counts have increased by 75% over um, the last you know, 30 years compared to the last count in 1988. Do we know why? Well, it's simply climate change. We don't know why, but we can uh, say that the things have been changing slowly but surely. So it's anyone's guess what happened in the last three decades or so. Things have changed, climate has changed, our habits have changed, and definitely that had uh, fed into all these changes in Poland too. Guess which groups are copying it the worst? 
what our data around asthma shows is that Māori and Pacific tend to be disproportionately affected and that's because their baseline asthma control isn't as well controlled compared to other ethnic groups and there's a lot of factors around that as around access to care um, as around their studies that show even when they present with similar symptoms to our hospital or primary care system they're not being treated in the same way they don't tend to um, receive the same types of treatment as the non-Māori or non-Pacific group which is interesting around you know some healthcare decision making why that is the place um, but when your baseline you know allergic symptoms aren't well controlled any changes in triggers so if we're having more pollen around in the air then they're much more likely to suffer more because that really offsets the asthma so if you're precariously controlled on that borderline then any trigger um, is more likely to affect these particular groups. So since July 2023, a team led by Amy and Stuthi has been at work trapping pollen and spores, identifying and counting them. Professor Rewi Newnham is part of that team. He's head of School of Science in Society at Victoria University Wellington, Te Heringawaka. As a doctoral student, Rewi was part of the last pollen capture team back in 1988. The trap then was also on the roof of the Auckland Museum, in the same place as the current one, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah, and that was intentional. Um, it enables us to, to make direct comparisons, point-to-point comparisons, if you like. Auckland Museum sits at the top of Observatory Hill in Auckland's domain, and the nearest tall building is the hospital. It's a good distance away. There's excellent airflow all around, but that's not the only consideration here. When we're looking to locate a pollen trap, um, we, we want to play, first of all, a place that's secure, that uh, will not be, um, you, you know, damaged or, 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 or uh, affected by, by passerbys, uh, people passing by and so on. Um, we want it to be obviously accessible. We want it to be above ground level, and that's because uh, it makes it easier to evaluate the pollen. If you if you put your pollen trap right down at ground level, you can appreciate there's so many uh, different plants uh, producing and shedding their pollen. Um, we, we just get um, <laughs> we get overwhelmed with with the the material that's that's in our sample, the pollen material that's in our sample. If you put it up, if you put the trap up um, at, a, at a higher level, uh, typically a rooftop, and I think between five and fifteen meters above ground level is optimal. Um, then you're uh, you're you're avoiding all of those complications at ground level, and you're getting the big players. You're you're getting the the pollen that is that is being dispersed on the wind, and by and large, those are the pollen types that are the problem for allergies. Um, so it's a, it's a compromise. Um, ideally, we would want to count everything. We would want to, want to identify everything. We'd literally be there all day and all night doing that, and it would essentially defeat the purpose of, of providing um, up-to-date current pollen counts, uh, at least on a day-to-day basis as takes place in, in, in those other countries. Why do you think it's been more than 30 years since that research was done and we're only just now doing pollen capture again? Yeah, look, I don't know the answer to that. I guess the reason is that it's expensive and time-consuming to do it the way that we're doing it. There is an alternative 
sort of rudimentary method, which is what we have been doing. And, and we have to pay credit to to Dr. David Fountain, who was the leader of that research back in 88, 89, the pollen monitoring research. And David, to his credit, has has continued his interest in providing pollen forecasts and and, and observations over the over the subsequent decades. And that's been incredibly helpful. It's not quantitative. It's not measuring the pollen. It's not giving us the sort of data that we can use to make international comparisons or indeed comparisons within within New Zealand. But, you know, he's providing this through his own expertise and skills and off his own back. And, uh, you know, that's that's a marvellous service that he's he's been providing. So uh, I guess that has and here I really am guessing, that that has swayed funding bodies like the Health Research Council into thinking that we don't really need to invest the relatively large sums of money that are needed to provide the sort of pollen monitoring and forecasting that happens overseas and gives us those quantitative data, gives us those ability to, the ability to make those comparisons um, and, and look across the whole country rather than just where David happens to be at the time. This is a light microscope here, which we use, so I'll get that all turned on. Back in a lab at the School of Environment and Environmental Chemistry, PhD student Laura MacDonald is working with Natasha Inyadi to process this week's pollen. After the tape is extracted and transferred to slides, a pink dye is applied to make the pollen pop when it's under a microscope. Laura does the counting. So at the moment I'm looking at the slides on uh, 200 times magnification, so blowing everything up by 200 times. When I'm actually counting the pollen, I use uh, 400 times magnification. So I don't count the whole slide, I just count about 15% of the slide, so I move across the slide in kind of nice, even transects. So it's about four transects of the slide, and then we kind of then do, like, convert it. It would take such a long time if I was to count the whole (laughs) slide, especially in the peak of grass season. I'd be here for hours. Understood. And immediately up on the screen Mm. has popped up the pink. Yes, the pink. And you see, you can see it, right? It's such a bright pink on the white background. So this one here um, is Cupressaceae. There's two there. Um, This one is a full one. And this one here is the exact same type of grain, but it's actually just split apart. Right. So the the full one is a complete sort of round circle. And the other one is... So it's just sort of burst apart at the centre. And I actually think of lots of them actually look like Pac-Man. Some of them, that one's like Pac-Man with his mouth wide you. open, but yeah, yeah. lots of them are actually just like that. And, yeah, and there's a ghost in between them that is about yeah, to eat. There yeah, there is. Sometimes also you get kind of funny stuff because these are fresh pollen grains. All the kind of cell, I'm not a biologist in that sense, but all the kind of bits inside the pollen grains can sometimes come out. So, yes, that's Cupressaceae. That's the um, Latin kind of name for the taxa, but it's Macrocarpa. Um, Looks like we've just brought in last week's sample. Is that right? Yeah. Shall we chuck one on? and? Why not? Let's see if I can find something. So some of the slides as well end up having almost no pollen on them. It really depends on the weather. So... If it's like been a rainy day, um, it just means there's way less pollen in the air and compared to like say a windy, hot day, there'll just be so much pollen in the slides. Not a lot of pink popping up. No, there isn't. Is this from Monday, Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a rainy day. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's, oh, what's that? Mm, just a bit of nothing, sadly. All right. All right, but so far, a low pollen day. It is a low pollen day, which is 
probably fantastic for all the people with um, hay fever. Let's have a look. Now, remember, this is data from the only pollen trap in the country. In Europe, there are about 600 permanent traps, and they've been running for decades. And annoyingly, Australia has got a bunch of them too. Dr Edwin Lampagnani is an aerobiologist. He coordinates the Melbourne Pollen Service with a machine on the roof of a Melbourne University building. It's automated. There's no clockwork here or hand counts. And he says the plan is to revolutionise hay fever management. Revolutionise is a big word. It is, uh, but it is, it is an important one because uh, for the last uh, 100 years or so, maybe not that long, maybe about 60 or 70 years, Pollen counting has been done using clockwork motors, uh, and it's a very, very big change. The pollen data captured by the automated counter is immediately sent to learning algorithms to be identified. There's no climbing on a roof or counting by hand going on here. But still, the clockwork trap on Auckland Museum is just right for the job that Amy and Stuthi are asking it to do. It's the gold standard, they say. So it is the gold standard, but there are limitations with it. So the gold standard um, is very good because you have a human that looks at pollen and can determine the shape and size of the pollen, and that will give you a clear indication. But every human looks at shapes and sizes slightly differently, and so there's always uh, some variation between when one person counts something and another person counts something. So you can think about it like counting the number of jelly beans in a jar. Um, you can count it 10 times and I imagine you'd get the, a different answer each time. It has one very, very big advantage over the clockwork motors and that is that it provides uh, real-time data and data down to 15-minute uh, intervals, which is something that the Burkhard machine can't do or the old gold standard machine can't do. So with the old machines, what they do is they record uh, pollen over a 24-hour period. So the pollen count that's derived from that machine is always something that's happened in the past. Information about what happened yesterday is not relevant to us, but forecasts about what's happening today, what's happening on the weekend, are really important because they help us plan your day and make sure that, you know, is it safe to go out shopping? Should I postpone that? Should I be going for that hike or that picnic? Uh, they really help make decisions. Victorians can make those decisions using the Melbourne Pollen Count and Forecast app. With alerts and notifications, users can better understand their triggers for hay fever or asthma attacks, and as a result, better manage their health. Because just like here, Australians suffer badly from hay fever. We have about one in five Australians suffer from hay fever. That's pretty big, uh, isn't it? It's a lot. So about uh, several million uh, people uh, in Australia. Uh, but it's not just them, it's also their carers. So you can think about children, for example. Uh, and one of the things we often get contacted by are mothers uh, who really find the forecast service important because when children go to school, they can't actually be provided with medications at school. So the forecast is very important so that they can go to school well prepared uh, and that they can continue with their schooling, um, not having symptoms, being able to concentrate in class, not having those watery eyes, scratchy throat uh, and being distracted. What's the cost of this? The cost is huge in terms of socioeconomic costs. Um, I don't have the figure offhand at the moment, uh, but it is in the billions. But most of that cost is related to time lost. So many of us, including myself, have had to take days off because of bad allergy symptoms and hay fever uh, to the point where I can't see out of my eyes. Uh, and, you know, this is a real burden on society. But 
the cost isn't just an inconvenience, it's uh, tangible. So pollen uh, is one of the major triggers for asthma, for allergic asthma. And of course, many Australians and many New Zealanders uh, die from asthma every year. And so in being able to understand the triggers for things like asthma and be prepared for those so that you can manage them well, uh, can actually lead to lives saved. Dr Lampagnani makes a very good point, but I actually meant the cost of the automated pollen counter. They are expensive. So uh, there are two costs involved. There's the cost of purchasing the machines, but there's also the cost of maintenance. Uh, so the machines themselves are somewhere in the order of about 150000 AUD, and they cost somewhere in the order of around 50000 per year to maintain. That only covers the pollen monitoring, though, and the forecasting uh, is separate to that. And so there's lots of infrastructure stock, uh, cost involved, lots of personnel cost. Uh, and that's on top of um, the monitoring. But the monitoring is really important because there are lots of services out there that do forecasting, but there are very few services out there that do the monitoring to provide the information required to do good quality forecasting. So a forecast is not useful to you if it's not accurate. And one of the things that we're very, very um very proud of and one of the things that we work very hard to is ensuring that we always have monitoring at places where we're forecasting so we know the quality of our forecasts and we know that the forecasts that we're providing are going to be useful to people. Another good point. Now there are automated sensors on the roof of Auckland Museum and Rewi Newnham agrees that automation is the future but there's more to it than just that. These devices are starting to be deployed overseas and there's a range of, of possibilities here. And it's not just the automatic sensors that we've, um, you, you know, we, we're looking at in, in Auckland. There is remote sensing. Satellite observations can also be used, um, in a, perhaps in a more broad sense, but that's, that's on the horizon. The problem is for, for New Zealand is that if you look at where these devices are being deployed around the world at the moment, in every case, they need to be calibrated against or ground truthed, as it were, against real data, against data that's been collected using the conventional methods. And that's important. That's It's actually essential. You can't do it without that calibration. And we don't really have that data, do we? Precisely. So, you know, what we're trying to do is work with people who have these devices and provide that basic data set, that ground truthing data set that can be used to compare with whatever those devices are showing, calibrate them as it were, test them. That's a, a process that I, I suspect I haven't been involved in it directly myself, but I think it will be you know, quite a long process. So we, we will need several years of data before we can actually confidently start deploying those machines. But eventually that will happen. And when it does, then yes, we will find a way to overcome this problem of the investment that's required to provide reliable pollen data across the country. The Auckland team have been gathering that data for less than a year, but there are some interesting findings there already. Amy Chan again. Grass season seems to have come in earlier, about three or four days earlier than back in 1988. Is that significant, um, three or four days? Yes, because it, it suggests that there is a shift towards earlier um, onset grass season. And bearing in mind, this is only one pollen trap at one site. And so if we were had more pollen sites around New Zealand, we might see you know a, a shift towards even greater number of days. And every shift over a period of time, I guess, means that uh, pollen sufferers um, people who um, are suffering from hay fever or asthma, they're exposed to a longer 
pollen season as it shifts earlier. And what we will try to find out is when it ends as well. So projections may be that it's also shifting to finish later. Um, and the early data shows that a number of days that have high pollen count from grass pollen have increased by 75%. 75%. compared to 1988 counts. So not only is it happening earlier, but the amount of pollen that people are getting on the days where there is pollen is much higher as well. So you're getting a blast of pollen coming through the air um, and that's much higher volumes than what it might have been in the 1980s. Amy's pretty invested in this research. It's personal for her. Yes, absolutely. So I had asthma from the age of, you know, six or seven, and it really had a big impact on my life. I remember that, you know, my friends would go on Athletics Day and I was the one who got the note to say, oh, she can't participate because of her asthma. So it really had an impact and, and my asthma wasn't controlled at all. And, and that's for lots of reasons, including, you know, we didn't have the same treatments back then as we do now. But there was definitely my passion. I remember, I think by the time I got to the age of like nine or 10, I was so frustrated by my asthma. When people asked me what I wanted to do when I grow up. I said, I want to cure asthma. I want to find the cure. So we haven't quite gotten to that. Um, But the closest thing to a cure really is getting your asthma controlled. And so now I'm really trying to understand what it is that we can do to control asthma so people don't get symptoms and don't get attacks. And, And that's really what drives me every day, I guess, to really understand more about asthma. Amy is running a related clinical trial, developing real-time prediction tools and smart devices to avoid asthma attacks. Using individualised data like sleep patterns, breathing rate, weather information, medication use and weather, she wants to determine what information can most accurately predict an attack. A few small studies that have been done overseas that have shown that actually asthma attacks don't just suddenly happen, even though it might feel like that way for people. Actually, in the days and weeks before an asthma attack happens, there are changes that are happening already in the body, physiologically and behaviorally. And so I started thinking, you know, in this century with digital technologies and wearable sensors, they're highly accessible, like Fitbits and Garmin watches, you know, could we use everyday technology? to capture these changes that are happening in our body so that we can get a signal perhaps and get an alert on our watches, on our phone that says, oh, actually, um, Amy, your asthma is going downhill. Get on top of your asthma, take your medications, and then we don't have to be hit with the shock of, you know, difficulty breathing and not being able to go to school or work. So really my um, research project here is trying to see, you know, can we build some kind of digital early predictor that can capture what's happening in our body and get some insights into um, the inflammatory system. So if your risk has risen, a text or a prompt on your phone or your smartwatch could mean the difference between having an attack or avoiding one. Knowledge and awareness is the number one thing that will protect people from asthma. And we know that from global guidelines and um, there was a report done in the UK, which was a review of all the asthma deaths that had occurred in the UK. And they found the number one reason why people still die from asthma today is because people are not aware of their symptoms. So it's just a lack of awareness of how severe their symptoms and how much their asthma is worsening that is about 
barrier to seeking care. So to answer your question, you know, do we think people will respond to text message alerts? I think so. I think it's having that insight into your health. And with people being so interested nowadays into, you know, tracking, you know, how many steps have I done, you know, or, you know, what is, is my calorie count or energy intake? I think people will be really interested to take control of their own asthma and their health um, rather than having things happen to them. They can actually track and take action themselves. And will any of the data from the major research project that you're both collaborating on contribute to that project? Absolutely. So the Poland data is also something that we're trying to see. So when people um, log an asthma attack, so during a study day, a record of when they have an attack or when their symptoms are going downhill, what we'll do is map it to um, when what was happening in the air in terms of the pollen count. So what we're hoping to see, is there a correlation between days of high pollen and the number of people who are reporting asthma symptoms in our study? And, and the hypothesis is saying, like, you know, if we have days of high grass pollen for example maybe there'll be a lot of people also reporting high asthma symptoms on that day so really we're trying to see if there's a correlation and a relationship between the two Amy Chan and Stuthi Mizra's pollen capture research is funded for just a year but that's still a year more than the last three decades have seen and good data is already emerging about seasonal variations in pollen of course there's more to discover but ideally, we want monitoring to continue for at least you know, a period of three, four years, because only then can we compare trends from year to year. And um, the US models, there was a paper that was published in 2022, so very recent data, that shows based on US modelling, we're expecting over a century that pollen will increase by 200% in this century if it's left unchecked, if climate change isn't um, controlled, and, and that the days of shift may shift by... You you know, um, 20 days earlier and could last 40 days later as well. So your whole season where people are exposed to pollen is potentially increased by, you know, a couple of months. And that's obviously significant. Best of all, they'd like to see a series of traps permanently installed around the country. Because we're talking about more than managing asthma and avoiding hay fever here. Overseas, the data shows that it affects, you know, cognition and function, um, development um, in children, and performance in schools and at work, and also can impact cardiac and respiratory health as well. So the impacts of climate change and pollen it could be far wider than just asthma and hay fever, but that's what we're hoping to find, that if we have pollen data, it could be a game changer in how we manage health and project healthcare resourcing as well. Thanks, Justin. That was senior producer Justin Gregory, who reported and produced this story. He spoke to associate professors Amy Chan and Stuti Misra from Waipapatao the University of Auckland, and Professor Rewi Nuam at Victoria University of Wellington, Teheranawaka. Dr. Kat Holt from Massey University is also on the research team. Special thanks to students Laura MacDonald and Natasha Nadi, as well as Dr. Edwin Lapunani at the University of Melbourne. Production help was by me, Claire Kincannon, and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Our webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, where we'll share some photos and further research if you're interested. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter there. And if you've got feedback for us, you can email ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz. Tenakwe ifakarongomai. Thanks so much for listening. Kokrek and Kananaho. Have a great week. Kia pai. Their wiki. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.